Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this morning's meditation is recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Luke, the 20th chapter, verses 9 through 19. To bring us back to that text, I'd like to read just verse 17 for you once again. But he looked at them and said, Then what about this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, how important is a good cornerstone? A number of years ago, Bethany Lutheran College told everyone that they were going to dig up a time capsule that had been placed in the foundation of their old main building. Some of you probably remember this. It's been about eight years ago or so now, I think. I was struck, though, when I saw the pictures of this, and maybe you remind, you're reminded of them yourselves, too, because the time capsule was located inside of a very large stone in the corner of the old main building, a stone that I had passed by many times as a student, and I thought, wow, look at that massive and sturdy and strong stone, but it turned out that it was completely hollowed out inside to store all of these items that were within that stone. In many ways, it was kind of decorative. It was kind of like a fake cornerstone. And in modern architecture today, really cornerstones probably aren't all that important. Sometimes maybe used for time capsules, sometimes simply to have the date of the building's construction chiseled into them. When it came to ancient architecture, cornerstones were critical. It was critical to have the proper stone, either natural or one that could be chiseled out for the purpose, especially for what reason? So that the walls could be built up square, so that the entire building would have integrity and could stand the test of time, having that proper cornerstone to guide the lines of the building of the walls there. In our lesson for today, Jesus describes himself really as a cornerstone, the stone that's rejected that becomes the cornerstone. So today we take that then as our theme, Christ is our cornerstone. Jesus begins our text by giving a parable, a parable concerning a vineyard. He describes a plot of land that's been purchased by a man and he's planted that vineyard and he has to go on a journey, a great trip. And so he leaves tenant farmers, renters, in charge of his property, in charge of his vineyard to take care of it. And of course, they're going to owe something to him in return, produce from his vineyard. What takes place? As he's far off, as he's away, those tenant farmers begin to think that the vineyard is theirs, not his. They want to make that vineyard in their own image. In fact, as he sends to them servants to go and get his produce that he deserves rightfully as the owner They mistreat them. They turn them away empty-handed with nothing. This, of course, is a picture to us of God and his church. In Isaiah chapter 5, the children of Israel are described as a vineyard that God himself has planted. We see the analogy then, too. Of course, with the tenant farmers, those that oversee his people, those that were in charge of the vineyard, especially to encourage them in the one true faith. And yet, what did they do? 
Many of them led the people astray, away from God and His Word. What did God do? Sent various prophets to them to proclaim His Word of truth time and time again, but when those prophets come, the people don't want to hear it. Those prophets are mistreated and even killed and turned away. Have we ever done something similar for us today as Christians? God sends to us His messengers as well. His messengers to draw us back to Himself, to point us again to the truth of His Word. I think many people would say, many Christians at least would say, they enjoy an interesting preacher. Enjoy one who maybe tells good stories, maybe he's funny on occasion, maybe he's very friendly. Enjoy a good preacher who is sure to call out the crass sins and disobedience of the world all around, but woe to that preacher if he was to ever speak a little too close to home, ever tell me that what I believe is contrary to what the Bible says or what I'm doing is actually sinful and wrong. Woe to that preacher. I'll certainly put him in his place if he steps out of line by doing such a thing. By telling me that I'm wrong, that I'm going astray from God and His Word. Yet we can do that very thing. And why? Like the tenant farmers, we want to make the vineyard in our own image, the faith in our own image, and say, I want to live the way that I want to live. If God's Word agrees with that, great. But if it doesn't, I don't care. I'm still going to live the way that I want to live. You can just butt out. What does God do? Ultimately, as Jesus describes in this parable, these servants go to those tenant farmers, don't they? And they go not to simply give polite suggestions, but for a very specific purpose, to receive that produce that is rightfully belongs to the owner. So also God sends His messengers today, people to tell us His word of truth, not just as mere polite suggestions, but actually as warnings. Concerning what we believe or maybe the way that we live to show us the error of our way. And in all of this, God has been incredibly patient. It seems almost illogical if you look at our text for today, right? The owner of the vineyard, he sends those servants out time and time again. We might think, okay... I understand. You send a servant out. He's supposed to go talk to those tenant farmers. Supposed to get the produce from them. They don't listen. They mistreat him. They turn him back empty-handed. Okay, maybe he'd give them a second chance, right? Maybe send one more servant out. Maybe they didn't understand really who that guy was, and they didn't understand how important he was. Okay, give them one more, one more try. But when they do the same thing again to the next servant, we would say, okay, that's it. Now it's time to get the law enforcement involved, get these people evicted off his land, right? That's it. They've shown their disobedience, they've shown their wickedness, but he does something that seems illogical, doesn't it? He sends a third, a third messenger to them. Even though they've already rejected the first two, they've already mistreated them, they've already turned them back empty-handed, a third is sent to them. The same thing happens again, they mistreat him, and they turn him back empty-handed. To us, it seems like, okay, now, now, right? Now you're going to do something about this, right? Even in baseball, three strikes and you're out. That's it, right? 
But the owner doubles down on his patience and his mercy by sending a fourth, and not just any fourth servant, he sends his own dear beloved son to them. Quite incredible patience and mercy to these wicked men. Really reveals the heart of the owner of that vineyard. You understand that those men were wicked. Those men were disobedient. But he gives them time. He's patient with them because he really wants them to be good, proper tenants of his land. To listen to him, to listen to his son, to obey him. So in mercy, he even sends his own son, but even this one is rejected. Even this one is thrown out, and we hear this one is even killed as well. The words of our text for today are spoken on Tuesday of Holy Week, just days before Jesus is arrested and crucified. It's amazing to think of the mercy in these words as Jesus brings this to the attention of the religious leaders. As he's providing them a warning, as he's providing them a way out, don't go through with it. As he's pleading with them, come back to God and his word, listen to his son, and be saved. God is also merciful to us. Many times when we've gone astray from him and his word, we want to shut our ears to it. God yet doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he continues to bring us his word of truth time and time again through his servants, through his messengers, through pastors, through fellow Christians to warn us of the error of our ways and to point us to Christ. Why is this one so important? We think about this analogy of the cornerstone there. We kind of have this, this picture that's brought to mind of maybe stonemasons sifting through all of this big pile of rocks as they're trying to find the proper stone that would be good for a cornerstone. One that has straight edges so they can build the walls up straight and proper. And they come across one stone and they begin to handle it and look at it carefully and they think, could this be maybe the stone that would be the proper and good cornerstone, but it's not what they expect. It can't possibly be the one and they cast it aside, they reject it. Think about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. As they viewed him, perhaps some of them at first thought, well, maybe he is the one, maybe he's the one that God foretold the Messiah, just as he says, the Son of God certainly can do miracles, but on the other hand, he doesn't conform to the laws and rules of the rabbis. He hasn't gathered a great army with him to overtake the Roman government I don't think so. I don't think this could be the one. I don't think this is the Messiah. And so they reject him. John chapter 5, Jesus, in talking to the religious leaders of his day, said this, that you search the scriptures thinking that by them you have eternal life. It was true. The Scriptures, God's Word, the Holy Bible, contains in it the way of eternal life. But he goes on to say, these are they that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. 
What he is saying is that he is really the heart and center of the entire Bible, of the entire Scriptures. Christ was the very cornerstone. These are they that were written about me, and not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. The entire Scripture is written about Christ. And how could that be? Well, Jesus is the very one that God was talking about when he came to Adam and Eve. As he described the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. It's the same one that God was talking about when he came to Abraham and he said, through your seed all nations of the world would be blessed. The same one he referred to when he pointed through Moses of the prophet that would come and be raised up from his own people that they were to listen to. The same one that he spoke to King David concerning a greater son of his that would come and rule on his throne forever. The same one that Isaiah spoke of, the suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The same one that the prophet John the Baptist spoke of when he pointed and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, all of those prophets of God pointed to the same person, the Messiah, Jesus Christ the very cornerstone of the faith. The one that had been the cornerstone all along. But how important is He really to us? Because there are times in our life when we just want to live our lives the way that we want to live our lives. We want to do what we want to do and we don't care what anybody else says. Maybe look at our own life and we say, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm trying the best I can, as hard as I can, to do what is right, to love my neighbor as myself, to be kind, to be generous, to uh, avoid wickedness. I'm doing all right on my own. God's Word says something different. It reveals to us our sin. It reveals to us how far we have fallen short, not of our own standard of goodness, but of God's standard of goodness. It reveals our corruption. It reveals our need for a Savior. Those leaders thought that they could get rid of Jesus. And then the kingdom would be theirs again. Then the church would be theirs again to rule, right? If we just put Jesus to death, then again the people will listen to us. They'll gather around us as well. Everything will go back to the way that it was. So they go on to plot. They moved just a couple days after this to arrest Jesus. Even put him up on trial to convince the Romans to execute him, and so he was. Hung on a cross, he dies, his body's put in a tomb, and it seems like, all right, we're done with that. It's over. Now things can go back to normal. Well, just 40 years later, their precious city of Jerusalem with their temple there, was utterly destroyed, utterly demolished. Everything that they'd worked so hard for, completely ruined. But what about that stone they had rejected? What about the one that they had killed? As he dies and his body's put in the tomb, but three days later, a dead man walks out of a tomb. And as a result of this, 
the message of Jesus Christ as the foundation of the one true faith is spread not just to the Jews, but well beyond to the entire world, to millions, no, to billions of people to testify to this fact, that Jesus is the one that he claimed to be, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the Savior for all. So much so that the stone that the builders rejected is revealed really as the cornerstone of the one true faith. The only one that has shown his power over sin, death, and the devil has revealed himself as the true and only Son of God. How important is a cornerstone in construction. As I mentioned before, probably with our modern architecture, cornerstones are probably not all that important in this day and age. But in ancient times they were vitally important. So too for us and for our faith. How important it is for our faith to be founded not on what we believe, what we think personally, but on Christ. What Christ has done for us. The one who has shown himself to be True God and our Savior. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore.